there's another squad attacking. Welcome to the third party, an Apex Legends podcast hosted by myself, Shay, and joined as always by my co-host, Henry. Henry, how's it going today? I'm doing really well. Another day, another pod. Mm -hmm. We're back at it. It's going to be a good one. Today, we're going to be talking about Pathfinder's Quest and as well making an important PSA. Before we do any of that, though, make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Third Party Pod. Sub to our YouTube channel, The Third Party Podcast, and stop by our weekly stream, 4 to 6 p.m. PST. Birthday stream just happened. It was a blast, as always. If you want two extra podcasts a month and tons of other exclusive benefits, join our Patreon by clicking the link in the description below. If you're interested, it would really help us to continue doing this incredibly fun podcast. Drop some news. Yeah, so we still have our limited edition merch. Check out the new website. It's face reveal. Lots of cool stuff to sink your teeth into. Got a really cool hat, Mm -hmm. which I think is my personal favorite, uh, but also a great shirt and a hoodie. So go check that out. It's all looking crispy as possible. I'm excited to pick some up here in the near future and get myself repping all things third party. But like you said, that hat is absolutely amazing. Uh, And honestly, you guys have really killed it. Like so far, we've had some great success selling this stuff. Um, We honestly didn't know which direction it was going to go. Uh, And so you know, we have been obsessed with the concept of merch for a long time. So maybe having some success doing this now uh, can mean some more kind of stuff coming in the future along these lines. Let's dive into some five-star reviews. First review coming from Pigzilla. Absolute greatness in podcast form. This podcast has truly been great to listen to. I just got the game in late season seven and thanks to the r99 volt comparison episode i was able to get eight wins with horizon in season eight alone on level 53 and with the help of this podcast info on guns such as the numbers given combined with the reviews of certain weapons just makes all the info more credible can't wait for the next episode and we'll keep listening much appreciated next review coming from bdk Ever since I've started listening, I've got way better octane. Now I'm getting 2k damage all the time. Thanks, guys. Keep it up. Love to hear that. Thanks so much. It's always nice to hear. Uh, people are getting those badges. And yes, sir. Like they're getting some improvement. People love the badges. I've seen a lot of people in the Discord flexing the badges lately. It's great to see. I love the badges. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to make a little public service announcement. And Shay and I have been really proud to have grown a community of positivity and support. It makes us really happy that so many of our listeners have not only gotten some entertainment from our show, but also some friends to play games with. Recently, one of our listeners reached out to us wanting to share a message to the third party nation regarding support and recovery for addiction. Addiction has impacted people close to us and unfortunately likely has impacted many of our listeners. If you or someone close to you is struggling with addiction, please know that help is still available despite the lockdown. Yeah. And surveys show drug and alcohol use and abuse have increased in lockdown, unfortunately, uh, as people have just become more stressed and isolated amongst these trying times for all of us. Uh, Research shows that social support, be it through programs like AA or NA, uh, that have regular meetings, counselings, or simply reintegration into society in general, is incredibly critical in recovering from substance abuse. Support groups are hosting virtual meetings, and counselors and doctors are now offering more telemedicine appointments than ever before, even in lockdown. You are never alone at this point in time. We've included some great resources in the podcast description, as well as some helplines we encourage you to call 
if you or anyone else you know is struggling with addiction. We also believe that right now playing video games is one of the only ways we can connect with our friends and family during lockdown. So please continue to use our community to find teammates and friends. If you'd like more information or someone to talk to regarding addiction, you can reach out to the Sober Nurse on Discord. Also in the description, they're a great person to chat to. Yeah, we pride ourselves on being able to talk to you guys, even as our community grows in itself. And so shoot us a message on Discord or anywhere if you ever want to talk about anything or get in touch with us. Like it, We are always going to be here for all of you uh, to support in any way you can. So thank you so much for listening to that little PSA. So diving back into the main episode, uh, just big warning right now, spoilers. This entire episode is spoilers for the Pathfinder Quest novel. We are going to be talking about a lot of key points that happen. We're going to be telling you who Pathfinder's creator is. Uh, this is 100% a spoiler episode. And if you're not interested in that, totally feel free to stop listening. And next week, we'll be right back at you with something spoiler free. Um, but that's just how this one's going to go, unfortunately. Yeah, we, we thought a lot about it. We were really excited about this book. Mm-hmm. We kind of weighed the pros and cons and thought, well, people have had a many, many months to pre-order the book. And mm-hmm. so if people were interested, uh, they've already gotten it. And we were just too excited to cover it that we had to go into it. And then after we received the book, we knew that this was a big deal in terms of lore. So we're going into it. There's so much to unpack. Um, and we're going to continue to kind of outline just how big this book was. Yeah. We're going to share with you a lot of information and a lot of spoilers. And there's so much more that is still in the book. So do not think that this episode uh, replaces reading the book. It is 100% still worth the read. We just want to give away kind of some of the big awesome information so then uh, we can continue to chat about it and have a good time. And we know a lot of people are really interested in hearing this one. So to start it off, a little summary of what Pathfinder's Quest is for anyone that doesn't know. It is Apex Legends' first and potentially only lore book. I know that's kind of a decisive topic right now but some of the writers have come out and kind of said that uh, it was a tough thing to write this book it was a big ask Uh, pathfinder's quest is a book that is made to give players a deep dive into really all the complex lore surrounding the apex universe and the legends itself Uh, the cherry on top though we get to read it through the optimistic perspective of pathfinder which provides so many laughs throughout the entire book you gotta love that pathfinder is always great to have on the squad and like we were talking off the off the podcast i don't know how they could do another book like this Mm -hmm. you know having pathfinder be the voice and the perspective of his journey and just i I don't know how they could do something at this level again yes it would be so hard to replicate um like they could go in a different direction and try and do something else but replicating this book in of itself is going to be tough so essentially what we have is we're going to give you a little review of the book and then we're going to also then dive into the story character by character which is kind of chapter by chapter but there is not like a hundred percent overlap in that way and just kind of tell you guys the story of what's going on and so first kind of starting with like our review of the book um but just to be honest the book was better than expected you know i thought you know that between henry and i playing the titanfall games and being as deep into the lore of the apex universe as possible there was just going to be a lot of repeat information i was seriously not prepared at all for the level of lore that was in the book, it just seriously blew me away. It's a 200-page 
big book. Emphasis on big book. Packed full of information about Pathfinder, every other legend, and the universe itself that Apex takes place in. I found myself just heavily invested into the book, laughing all the time. You know, at Pathfinder's humor, you know, uh, Mirage's humor, but just seriously invested into the storyline that started to kind of unfold. It, it's pretty cool. Um, I, I think they did just a stellar job. Um, the book is up to date in terms of Horizon. It's mm-hmm. so kind of a big turning point and that Branthium is kind of a, a big part of this book. And so that's, I think, corresponding to when it was released. Yes. Is really Between season seven and eight is like the what they've talked about. Exactly. And so I think that it does a great job at filling in a lot of the missing information between the cinematics and the in-game quests and things like that. And although this could be kind of frustrating to some people um, who maybe have not read up on all the comics or seen all the cinematics, um, there's going to be a lot of information about lore that we're going to cover today and through this book. I think the first thing before we dive into the story, I just kind of wanted to ask you to get your thoughts on where, how do we kind of feel about the continued separation of information? Uh, just that you need to consume it in so many different places to get the full story at this point. Yeah. Um, I think that they're trying their best to tell a lot of stories at once. And I think that this book is a really nice uh, close to many stories. Um, and so I, I think that it's, it's quite cool. Um, that they do have a variety of mediums where they are telling the lore of Apex. I think that it just sets them on a totally different level compared to other games. Um, I will say, though, they currently have a job posting for a narrative historian for Mm -hmm. Apex. And that role is pretty much designed to compile a lore-based wiki of Mm -hmm. everything. And so I think that right now everything is kind of fragmented, but they'd like to at least document it all in one place and maybe that'll inform kind of the future of how they tell stories. Well said. Let's dive now into kind of the story itself and we're going to tell you about who Pathfinder's creator is. Um, But first, starting kind of with the structure of the book, it's really an interview style with Pathfinder going legend by legend, talking to everyone to try and connect the dots to find out who his creator is. The general layout of a chapter is the first page being Pathfinder's memory log, which looks great drawn absolutely amazing followed by a clue box that showcases some hints that pathfinder found and is trying to uncover that he hopes will bring clarity to finding his creator and then this box kind of gets larger and updates as the chapters progress and the book progresses and pathfinder finds out much more information the first page also has a self-motivation quote from someone famous like albert einstein or shakespeare and then eventually Pathfinder ends up quoting himself at one point, which was kind of funny. Love that. But I just love that it showcases that the Apex universe is based off of ours, just very far in the future. We, they are living in our world. It's pretty cool. So then you get a profile of each legend uh, of which Pathfinder's talking to, followed then by an interview. And then during the interview, each legend tells a personal story about their life kind of get in some jokes when he starts talking like Revenant and Loba about the stuff who don't really want to share personal information about themselves. But the stories are just absolutely amazing. Uh, And we are actually thinking about maybe incorporating that into a segment of the show, like reading off lore stories, because we're not going to really dive into all of those today. And so if you love the lore of Apex and this, just leave some comments and let us know if you'd be interested in a segment like that. Uh, but really, the overarching goal is through all this, Pathfinder is trying to find his creator. And the chapters normally end with each legend giving Pathfinder another piece of the puzzle in his quest to really take him to 
who he needs to talk to next and find the creator. So now I'm going to dive into the story. How, how'd you feel about the structure of the book though? I thought it was really cool. I liked it. I mean, for such a large task of a telling the story that we have been hinted at now for years, um, but also spreading the love out to all the legends. I thought this was a great way to walk us through it. Definitely. So now we're going to kind of go chapter by chapter, legend by legend. I'm going to kind of talk about the lore and how it connects to Pathfinder and such. And then Henry's going to share uh, what we kind of dug up as a fun fact from each chapter on each legend. That's not like super related to the overarching story itself. It's something that we thought was kind of cool. So we start with Lifeline. Lifeline really sets the stage of the book, really reminding the reader and Pathfinder about the history of Hammond Robotics, the frontier, and the Outlands. This is information we learned from previous lore and the Titanfall series. Uh, and we do actually get the first mention of something called the blackout that cut off communication throughout the frontier and the outlands. This is a very important thing to take note of. And then Lifeline points Pathfinder in Bangalore's direction to find out more about those wars uh, and what the blackout was from the IMC perspective. Fun fact pulled out of this chapter is that Lifeline took a trip to Gridiron with Octane and went to the Paradise Lounge where she first heard the band Flyer Liars. Uh, Lifeline then went on the road with the band, feeling like she finally found a fit. One day, Lifeline, while talking to the drummer, decided to pick up some sticks and give it a try, and she fell in love with it. And that's the origin of Lifeline's heirloom. Like, there's so many pieces of information like that in this book. It's absolutely amazing. Like, we had no idea. And that is just a little tidbit kind of thrown in there. Next, we have Gibraltar, who kind of comes up in the next chapter. This is one of the best chapters in the book in terms of character lore. There's so much juicy information in here. I'm sure you enjoyed it as much as I did, and we'll be talking about it way more in the future. And we learned that the Gibraltar family was a part of one of the first groups of people to migrate to the Outlands. And the trip itself was a 20-year trip to get to the front, from the frontier to the Outlands, which is kind of crazy you know we've seen all the movies based around those like long-term travels and stuff but that's what happened and the Gibraltar family was there at the start and through talking with Gibby Pathfinder learns about the start of the Thunderdome and how the blackout brought many people from the frontier to the outlands Gibby advises Path to then go talk to Mirage about the civil war and Watson and Wraith to learn kind of more about the Apex games did you kind of like Jibby's chapter though a little bit? I know there I was loved a, it. yeah, you're the main. I'm, so it was like, I'm biased. I, I think that Gibraltar, his personality is awesome. I love the way that he speaks and that was definitely reflected uh, in the storytelling. Mm-hmm. I, I loved it. I thought it was really cool. And there's so many details, like you're saying, like they went as far as do making up patches and logos mm-hmm. for, for every single thing mentioned. Like the universe is so fleshed out fleshed out yeah. it's like unbelievable like it it's pretty cinematic in that regard no doubt we're gonna now talk about watson watson was in the next chapter and this was a fun one that talks a lot about the apex games and its origins uh, after signing the treaty that ended the outland civil war which we'll kind of circle back to that in a little bit we learn about how before the ring that the games were just really a camping fest because nobody was incentivized to engage, that it wasn't fun to watch. Everybody was just like knifing each other in the back. And then we learned that Natalie, aka Watson, was responsible for the creation of the ring, but wanted her dad to take credit for the idea. And the story is a lot more intense than this, but this is kind of just the abridged version. And then one of the most important facts from this chapter is we learned that Emile Paquette is Watson's grandpa, 
and Amelia Paquette is her grandmother, which we'll circle back to that. This is one of the big things Pathfinder was trying to figure out, though, was who this person was. Uh, All that we learned was that little is known about Amelia besides the fact that she died under mysterious circumstances. Watson then kind of passes the torch to talk to Wraith, kind of the expert of the IMC in King's Canyon and kind of like knowing where to find files and stuff. But this was kind of a fun one because we saw in the cinematic trailer for Pathfinder, you know, Paquette. And so this is, we finally confirm that information here. Yeah, we've known those names have been really important to the Apex games, but also this kind of larger story. And so this was definitely a, a, pin, a very pivotal chapter in the book. Yes. We didn't talk about Wraith. Now, this chapter is amazing and teaches Pathfinder a ton of important lessons about perspective and assumptions on his quest, not to really jump to conclusions about things, uh, to really tell the whole story could be an episode of itself. You know, the relationship between Watson and Wraith is something we will definitely explore in the future, but we're going to kind of going to stick to like the crucial information that Pathfinder learns. Uh, And so Wraith and Path go into the tunnel under King's Canyon to the old lab and uncover information about Project Iris and how an old IMC unit named Adonis Squad was involved with it. This prompts Pathfinder to then kind of go talk to Bangalore as she's that IMC expert with the legends. Really fun fact here. Uh, this chapter made a callback to when Mirage, Pathfinder, and Wraith uh, were on the same team mm-hmm. and Pathfinder's first match, uh, which is a reference to the first cinematic trailer, which featured this trio, which could be still one of my favorites. The, the lines mm-hmm. are awesome. Like, it's really awesome to see the interaction. It's great to see them continuing to make those callbacks. Like, they did it with the loading screen. Now, when you choose trios versus duos, you see Path, Mirage, and Wraith as the logo. Yeah. Like, they're sticking with the origins, which is just awesome. Now, Bangalore, a crazy chapter. Through talking with Bangalore, we get a seriously new perspective on the war and the IMC. And when looked at from a certain po- point of view, how they're not that bad. They're not really the big bad guys, at least from Bangalore's point of view. And it's a pretty convincing one, I will say. I'm not going to give away all the juicy details and stuff, but it's an interesting one. Bangalore talks a lot about her brother Jackson and their life together. Most importantly, we learned that the blackout took five years to span across the entire galaxy and potentially may have been caused by a ship that Bangalore and her brother were on escaping the battle at Gridiron. Additionally, we learned that Project Iris started because the future of the Outlands was at stake. Very important, the future of the Outlands. Pathfinder then decides to go to Mirage, his best friend, to learn more about the Civil War, Blackout, and the perspective from someone born and raised in the Outlands. A more so fun fact referring to Bangalore's character and mm-hmm. personality. In this chapter, she discussed how her and her brother uh, had a competition scorecard with the first to 100 winnings made up of life events, like who crawled first to who like got assigned to a combat unit by the IMC. So she's definitely a competitor. Yes, her and the brother were incredibly competitive. Obviously known that, you know, her brother died, unfortunately. Uh, you know, coming out of the ship, we have the loading screen kind of referencing to that and such. Uh, and so there was some sadness in fact bangalore cried during this chapter which pathfinder was not supposed to tell anybody until he then told pretty much every other legend after the fact and that was kind of a little funny note but now we get to mirage this is just a must read chapter absolutely hilarious 
one of my favorites. During this chapter, we learn a lot about Mirage's life and his family. We learn more about the blackout or what is considered the energy crisis and that a woman named Peck believed that the Outlands had 10 years left to find a solution, but nobody really listened. Kind of echoes maybe some stuff going on in our lives currently in the real world right now, maybe. Uh, Mirage then refers to something happening called the event that stabilized the energy resources of the Outlands but nobody knows much about it, why or how it happened. So really, we introduce a lot more mystery in this chapter, but the humor itself was absolutely a great path is advised to then talk to Bloodhound because their parents worked with Mirage's mom on a secret project related to the event. I think Mirage is definitely a great chapter. His, you know, voice lines, as funny as they are in game, mm-hmm. are definitely funny uh, in this book. But the fun fact here, which is potentially a spoiler for even the future mm-hmm. um, was that Mirage speaks with his about his brothers uh, who died or were missing in action during the war. Um, but he also described how he and his brothers did athletic activities such as archery pretty much every day. Mirage's brother a long time ago was rumored to be a legend coming into the games. We have a ton of leaks uh, looking at bow and arrows. So, any if anything like from that comes true, uh, you heard it here first. You know that when bow and arrows are mentioned in anything, they're getting put in the show, regardless of anything. So it's a flagged keyword. This is a one hundred percent throwaway sentence in the chapter. Like it is a two word in the middle of something else. It wasn't a question <laughs> pointed at anything, but we had to talk about it at this point. Now we're going to talk about bloodhound. Bloodhound's origin is a fascinating one that we're actually going to need to dive deeper into, into the future. His story of kind of like furthering his technology and stuff is very interesting. But regarding how blood relates to Pathfinder's quest, though, uh, is that blood is able to tell Pathfinder that the event was the discovery of Branthium 75 years ago. Uh, Branthium, as some of us know, but a little reminder, is an ideal energy source because it can burn for such a long time. So the IMC harvesting for Branthium on Talos, aka, you know, World's Edge, is what actually caused the planet to freeze over and kill Bloodhound's parents, which we kind of saw in the stories from the Outlands. But that discovery of Branthium is very key as being the event. Bloodhound did not know how Branthium connects to Path, but advises Path to go learn about it from Loba because she has a piece of Branthium in her collection, of course. Great connection between the legends. Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of the, the path through this uh, Pathfinder quest yes. is really cool. Um, the fun fact here uh, that is probably the most educational is that this chapter included a lot of translations of the words that Bloodhound uses from their native dialect, native language. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes Bloodhound has a lot to say in game, like calling things out. Mm-hmm. And we do not understand what they're saying. And in the book, you, you actually get a little bit more of that that language. We're going to have to keep our eye out to see if we can translate any uh, voice lines in the future. We're going to now talk about Loba and Octane. This is when the chapter started to combine two legends into kind of one chapter. Uh, it introduced these two characters as Pathfinder sits down to interview Loba for dinner. And then Octane decides to join. It's kind of a fun, like, Octane and Loba vibing together. It's not exactly what you would expect, but it was really interesting. Uh, We learn a lot about the high society from Loba, and she talks about Lillian Peck, who created a foundation to try and keep everyone in the Outlands safe. 
called the Peck Foundation. Uh, she was able to get her hands on a lot of Branthium, which helped end the energy crisis, but it also led to a lot of companies that were invested in Peck, like Silva Pharmaceuticals, to become incredibly rich. And you get a lot of conversation between Loba and Octane about like how if this was good for people, a very interesting conversation must read. The conversation kind of ends with Loba talking about how nobody knows how the planets actually got Branthium. Uh, and that path should go on to talk to crypto about it. It's really a weird uh, mystery, like Peck and discovers Branthium, but then Branthium is then just shows up on all these planets and nobody knows how, but that's kind of like pretty suspect. Definitely interesting. This is a fun, fun fact. Well, maybe we'll switch off reading this one, but you can set the stage. So Loba and Octane tell Pathfinder, uh, all the planets that are in Syndicate space, including one that we haven't heard anything about, uh, which is Tataris. And it's interesting to take note because the legends described it uh, in the following discussion. I'll read Octane's. Octane. I'll try to do my best Octane impression. So I tried to get there once. I hear it's got like next level stunt potential, stuff that sounded scary to me, amigo. But when I said where I was going, the pilot turned around and took me back, said he wouldn't go near that place for all the money I had. Seriously hate it when that happens. And I haven't found anyone else who will go. I'm about to start learning to fly myself if that's what it's going to take. And then Loba says, ugh, the less said about that place, the better. It is interesting. My first thought reading that one was like, oh, is this like going to be crazy terrain, like super volcanic, like that's like where all the stunts should happen. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, like thinking about it more from maybe Loba's perspective, is this like a syndicate secret place? And obviously it's important bringing up because mentioning of planets that we've never heard about is potential locations for new maps in the future. Yeah, my thought process goes to this uh, where there might be some gravitational anomaly here mm-hmm. you know, if a pilot is not comfortable going to a whole planet that that's pretty significant you know mm-hmm. they're in space it doesn't get much more dangerous than that so i think this could be a nice little uh future idea for maybe a future map or a future place that we continue to hear about in lore definitely we're going to now talk about crypto and caustic uh which is kind of a crazy section for confirming a lot of lore mysteries we kind of already thought existed our guy kev the king kind of really confirmed or not confirmed but mentioned a lot of these ideas and now they're actually confirmed it starts with pathfinder talking to crypto before caustic then storms in yelling at crypto for turning watson against him kind of builds off the twitter video we saw between uh crypto and uh watson both of these guys are also you kind of find out they kind of know the other's identity and they're both denying it back and forth but they both know who the real person is uh we learn about the syndicate treaty and how it allows planets like gaia and samathe the ability to instill their own governments and laws and so you have you know criminals like tejun crypto and alexander knox caustic like fleeing certain planets to come to solace and other like the lawless lands uh pathfinder learns more information about the event and that it was when the project iris team members were all murdered and then their deaths were covered up by an explosion on olympus but their killer still remains a mystery pathfinders then sent to horizon and revenant as they were around during that time period obviously and may be able to help path uncover a little bit more information and then one of the kind of most fun facts i think in 
legend lore in mm-hmm. terms of friendships and relationships is that in this chapter, Costigan and Crypto find out that Taejun Park, aka Crypto's foster mom, is Caustic's mom, making them non-blood related brothers. And in the book, this really plays out in a hilarious way, but what a cool thing. These people are pretty much adversaries uh, in the games for sure, but also in lore, they don't like each other too much, but kind of share the same mom. Yeah, it's hilarious. Like they are absolutely shocked when they find this information out about each other. Like they're her mom's, uh, the mom's name is Mystique, but it's like spelled differently for crypto and then it's spelled differently for caustic, but then Pathfinder with the video on his chest and stuff kind of connects the dots. And these two guys are just left standing there being like, oh my gosh, like Taejun and Alexander Knox are brothers. Like absolutely crazy. We then get Horizon. This is a quick interview. It's not even a full chapter. Emphasizes really Horizon's story again as we know it uh, and brings up the character Dr. Reed, her assistant, uh, and how she knows that uh, she was responsible for sending Horizon into the black hole and being lost in space. Uh, We learned that also Horizon worked on Project Iris in attempts to solve the energy crisis and that she's actually friends with the team that was murdered at the time. Kind of an interesting chapter. It was a pretty short one. The fun fact here, which I think is kind of silly, is that Horizon wanted uh, to originally name Pranthium Horizonium, which ended up not really happening. Yeah, it was apparently the assistant was adamant that that would not be the case, Dr. Reed. So very interesting there. Now we got Revenant. This is a crazy chapter. Uh, The summary doesn't do this one justice, but this is where things kind of start to get intense. And for the first time, Pathfinder comes across as really sad by the end of this chapter. Pathfinder admits that he thinks he is Project Iris and that he was built to do something great. But Revenant really takes this opportunity to convince Pathfinder that the event was that he got reprogrammed and killed everyone at Project Iris. And then at the end of the chapter, Pathfinder is convinced that he's a murderer and that he's going to give up his quest to find his own creator. He's going to quit the Apex Games. He's just done. He's sad. Revenant's such a hater. 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 So mean. But the fun fact here was kind of a a specific line uh, that was not really, maybe didn't catch everyone's attention, but caught ours in that it pretty much insinuated that Jackson, or Bangalore's brother, was killed by Revenant. And that would be very interesting if uh, it was explored further. It would be crazy because uh, Bangalore still convinced her brothers alive, essentially. And Pathfinder says that if Bangalore thinks that uh, he's alive, then Pathfinder thinks he's alive. But Rev kind of has this little throwaway line that brings up this idea. But, you know, those two, they already don't like each other. And so exploring this more would be really interesting. Now we get to Rampart. Which is an incredibly important interview, which kind of started to make maybe her introduction into the games in general make a little bit more sense. Uh, Pathfinder actually goes looking for Mirage, uh, only to find Rampart instead. Rampart convinces Path that there's no way he could have murdered those people. They have a really like heartfelt moment back and forth. Uh, and Rampart, while Path is telling the story about Project Iris, recognizes that the security team for the people murdered were the Apex Predators. And we all know who leads the gang, Cuban Blisk. Uh, Pathfinder then realizes he needs to talk to Blisk, but says there's no way he'll ever get a meeting. He can't get past the security at Syndicate Tower. He'll never take a meeting with a robot. Uh, But then Rampart, as we know, has a great relationship with Blisk and tells Pathfinder she'll get him a meeting 
with Uncle QB. <laughs> what a crazy relationship and kind of a, a turnkey legend who was really able to put the final piece in the puzzle and, and solve this for Pathfinder. But now Shay's going to wrap us up with the finale. This is so, a finale. And it's going to get ramped up here. There's so much more that goes into this. This is obviously a summary of everything. Like, the, do not consider this a replacement for the read is all I'm trying to say. Like, there's so much more cool information uh, than we have the time to share with you all today. But the finale is Pathfinder's meeting with Blisk. Pathfinder meets with Blisk and Blisk confirms that he knows who's responsible for killing Pathfinder's creators. Blisk then gives Pathfinder a chip that has all the information about what happened on it and tells Path to plug it in and take it before he changes his mind because it's super expensive. So now this is the story of Pathfinder's creators. Nicknamed The Group, eight brilliant scientists were brought together by Amelia Peck of the Peck Foundation to try and solve the energy crisis that was going to cause the blackouts. The group includes Dr. Conan Shelley, Dr. Anastasia Stay-Oliveria, Newton Summers, Professor Millie Delgado, Dr. Alexi Gibraltar, Dr. Amelia Paquette, Dr. Armin Fletcher, and Dr. Reed. So this group is made up of the smartest of the smartest in the Outlands, and the thing is, they kind of struggle to figure out for years how to harvest and use Branthium. Uh, Newton Summers actually is the one that recognizes that the scientists need to be inside this refinery chamber in order to use a reactor fast enough to harvest the Branthium correctly. Dr. Reed actually comes up with the idea to use a Marvin to withstand the intense heat that would be deadly to any human. The team then decides to create uh, a Marvin that is like very special. Obviously, they're using different metals and alloys and stuff to make them as strong as possible to withstand all this. And within the programming, they each add something unique to his personality so that he would be the absolute best of all the scientists rolled into one. And this is kind of like the fun idea. That is Pathfinder. And so after getting Pathfinder activated, uh, he's then working on the Branthium for a long time. And after getting it ready to go, Dr. Reed betrays all the fellow scientists, taking them hostage, all except for Pathfinder. Dr. Reed wanted to steal the Branthium, uh, whether it was for herself or another organization was not really ever confirmed. Uh, and then there's just this intense, like they escape. There proceeds to be a crazy firefight between Pathfinder kind of shows up to save his creators and Dr. Reed's mercenaries who are apex predators. Dr. Reed also uses a sword as her main weapon, further hinting that she is Ash, essentially, which is something we had been rumored and talking about for a long time. Pathfinder witnesses death, sadness, happiness throughout the fight, and he instills each of these emotions on his screen plating, kind of like mimicking what he sees uh, his creators and doctors express on their face. The fight ends with doctors and Pathfinders being able to distribute all the Branthium that they'd created randomly throughout the Outlands to just all these different cities and towns via the Phase Runner. Pathfinder's told he needs to go through the Phase Runner with the Branthium uh, and so that all the doctors will live through him because they can't survive it. Humans can't survive the Phase Runner. So after going through the Phase Runner, uh, the base was set to explode along with everything and everyone inside of it. The Branthium appears in random cities and towns throughout the Outlands with no explanation, but now we kind of know how that happened. 
Uh, Pathfinder unfortunately lost his memory going through the phase runner, leading to his life kind of as we know it. And that is the abridged version of Pathfinder's quest to find his creators. Pretty awesome. I think a great story. Um, and it's not necessarily over. No. Like the implications of all those creators mm-hmm. um, and how they connect with other legends mm-hmm. um, is a really big deal. And I think that this now one year leak, sort of, or not a leak, but a hint at Ash coming into the games. Mm-hmm. Who knows where that is? It's definitely still on the table. And with this story, learning more about Dr. Reed and their role and the fact that now Ash is kind of back with Bliss, mm-hmm. um, the Apex Predators, I don't know. I, th- I think we certainly have a continuation of this story. There were two kind of key points I just wanted to bounce off you that I kind of had after reading this chapter and this book. So we saw Pathfinder and Ash date. Yeah. But obviously. Dr. Reed, if she's Ash, knows who Pathfinder is and is not a fan because he's essentially responsible for her death. And so what's going on there is really interesting to me. Yeah. So I'd assume that when you get simulacrumed, mm-hmm. you got some problems with memory. Fair. Um, you know, Revenant doesn't quite understand mm-hmm. who his human form was. He has some memory intermediately, but I don't know. That we'll have to share it. He has his, in the book, he has his like uh, full on history of his death. And yeah. we're going to read that off one of these days. It's great. There's so many. Mm-hmm. It's pretty, it's a packed book. But mm-hmm. that idea of is Dr. Reed still alive mm-hmm. is definitely one we'll have to circle back around. And here's the second one I want to kind of bring up Newton Summers is essentially responsible for Pathfinder's creation. No, it wasn't like his idea, but he's the one that recognized the issue and proposed the solution. If Horizon successfully goes back in time to see her boy, obviously we don't know how time traveling works in the Apex universe, but we know that would cause some issues in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Does that then somehow cancel out Pathfinder's creation some way? In some way, yeah. So Newton is Horizon's son. Yes. And so, yeah, I mean, we haven't heard anything yet this season about kind of Horizon's quest Mm -hmm. um, and that she wants to reunite with her son. Um, We don't necessarily know that she wants to go back in time and stay back in time Mm -hmm. or take him out of the timeline. Um, I think that she just desperately wants to reconnect. And so that could be in a variety of forms. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that we'll see a less drastic uh, form. And Newton was the only scientist that was not confirmed to be dead in the explosion. They kind of insinuated that he had left before this whole firefight had gone down. So there is still more to unpack there. But that is Pathfinder's quest. That's our kind of summary. If you enjoyed that, we will do more information like this on more episodes, whether it be in the segment form or another full episode in general. Uh, let us know your thoughts. Uh, fantastic book. Must read. Uh, and spoiler alert. <laughs> Major spoiler alert. Let's now wrap it up and answer some five-star questions. First question coming from It's Spock Plays by T. Hey, Henry and Shay, I'm a big fan of your podcast and I find myself every week, now twice a week, Mm -hmm. with my headphones in listening to y'all talk about a game that I love. I have one question. What would be the best possible team for Platinum 
ranked. We're currently running Gibraltar Crypto Horizon. Yeah, I think uh, Gibraltar, 100% in there. Those The problems with the Platinum, the high levels of Platinum, is you start to get into those intense end circle fights. And unfortunately, in the current meta, it feels like Caustic really dominates those end circles in a lot of ways with the ult. And so if you maybe wanted to try putting the Caustic in there, you could, but I think having Gibraltar as a mainstay and then kind of working something around that, you'll find some serious success in Plat. You guys are by no means rocking a bad team comp. Like that is one of the ones I would consider running myself. Like I think you're in a pretty good place. I agree. I think that's a pretty decent team composition. Crypto is pretty hard, Mm -hmm. um, but excels at a lot of really important things like the survey beacon. My ideal uh, for Platinum is Gibraltar, Bloodhound, and Caustic. Um, But that team composition has no mobility. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you kind of have to be careful about that. On a map like Kings Canyon, I think you can get away with that. And even more so on Olympus. Mm -hmm. So I think kind of taking a sidestep to this whole mobility and ranked at least, um, and packing those abilities on the other side, recon, power, Mm -hmm. uh, support, is probably going to benefit you. And I'll just quickly say, if you want to run that crypto religiously, I might switch the Wraith for the Horizon for the reasons I've talked about with making that push with the crypto drone maybe a bit more effective. Next question, a satisfied settler. I'm still bad, but it sure ain't your fault. Love this podcast. I'm late to the Apex world. Joining on the back half of season five, your podcast has been a masterclass getting me caught up on strategy and tactics lore and weapons and legend comparisons while i'm still awful sub 0.5 kd 222 damage per game i'm having fun playing with friends and sharing all your helpful insights and tidbits as an aside you two should be proud of what you've built so far to achieve this much of a following is a testament to your passion and professionalism to do it while in school is all the more impressive to sneak in a question how do you recommend attacking team with height advantage and with better range weapons how do you close the space without eating all the damage Thanks so much for the review. Appreciate what the kind nice, words. Yeah, mm-hmm. really nice uh, thoughts. And you've been with us for a long time. I think you've been playing Apex for quite a long while. Yes. So give yourself some credit there. Um, really, you want to beat them there. This yeah. is, I mean, it's such a good question and I don't want to not answer it, but you do not want to do this. Like, there's a reason that there's another Apex podcast called Taking Height. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really the name of the game. If you're not third partying, you better be taking height. Mm-hmm. So, it's very hard. I, I, the best thing that I can say is use your abilities. Mm-hmm. Like, use I'll gas, use smoke, or smoke. Yeah. Like, use uh, domes, use jump pads. Like, try to disrupt them in any way. Maybe it's an EMP. Like, if somebody has that height advantage, you need to counter that with an ability. Mm-hmm. Like, and and that's tough. Um, but in terms of like recommending a weapon or a strategy, like use abilities and then get right under them as soon as possible. Yeah. Um, you want to play that low ground so they have to drop onto you if yeah. you are not comfortable trying to take that high ground. Good question. Mm-hmm. Next question coming from the Edge 11. Hey, Henry and Shay. I had a funny game last week where I dealt 1.3K damage and zero kills. And my teammate <laughs> dealt 1.7k damage and 11 kills, and we got the win. The whole time I was trying to get a kill and didn't give up, but it just didn't work out. What's your guys' largest damage game with zero kills? 
Oh, that's Duo's life for you. Yeah, Duo's will really get you in those situations. I had a game uh, with someone where they did 2,000 and didn't get a kill, and nice. I got 12. So that was kind of a fun one. Off the top of my head, I, I've probably done around like that 10 to 14 kind of range with zero, uh, but I can't remember anything crazier off the top of my head. Yeah, I think that it definitely happens in Duo's, mm-hmm. um, where pretty much whoever shoots first isn't going to get the kill and that's okay because Mm -hmm. that means that you and your duo are in sync and the fact that you won is a testament to that that you're having great gunplay and you're finishing kills um but you're kind of the spear Mm -hmm. uh, to that assault last question coming from solely tom i've been listening to you guys since the 50th episode and you guys have helped me a lot i started in mid-season seven and i just have made it to level 50 and i already have the 2k damage badge on bloodhound thanks to you guys i have a question though do you guys think that if golden weapons are any good, including the sights, like what if you have a sight that you want on the Spitfire, but then you see the golden Spitfire and you just don't think that it's the best sight? In my opinion, I would pick the Spitfire I have already. Just letting you know, I like the purple square scope. But anyways, you guys are awesome and keep it up. I think he means the three times by that one. Yep. Three times Ranger, great optic. Um, thanks so much for listening. means mm-hmm. a lot that you're enjoying it. I, I think it's awesome that people are able to achieve these badges. I think that's a great like goal. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love that. Um, I am not picky about sites really at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I have my preferences, but I will definitely take a gold, uh, gold variant. Uh, if I can, uh, specifically for a weapon that requires a lot of hop ups, mm-hmm. you know, like a gold mastiff you know, maybe not necessary um, because then you can get your ideal optic and still get a purple bolt. Um, but if it has a gold mag uh, and a stock. A barrelizer. And, and like, barrel. Yeah, back in the day when there was barrels, mm-hmm. like, yeah, I, I would pretty much go with the with the gold variant no matter what. Mm-hmm. But if you do have a fully kitted Spitfire and you have a better optic, then I guess, no, you don't switch just because of the color. And that, I think that's kind of a good point for uh, maybe younger players or newer players it's not any better. Mm-hmm. It's just a different color with locked attachments. So if you have a fully purple Spitfire with your favorite optic, do not switch it over. Well, now you do have the gold mag change, though. You so do. there is a reasoning why you might want to do it. But I do think there's an argument, like you're saying, that if that Spitfire is beloved, that purple versus gold mag is not making any ammo capacity difference yeah i guess what i'm saying is you can loot the gold mag yes you can yes but all yeah, purple so the, just the doesn't gold, have yeah, it though the but gold fully doesn't kitted. do anything mm-hmm. crazier mm-hmm. so it's like yeah so that's our advice hopefully that helps you out a little bit definitely and i'm a fan of the four to ten digi on the sniper i know a lot of people don't <laughs> like it but i'll rock it so i have no complaints about picking up those either is not too bad yes. in the gold variant of another fun episode. Thank you all for listening. Subscribe on Apple Pods. Give us a follow on Spotify. Leave a five-star review with your question. We'll answer it on our next episode. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Third Party Pod. Sub to our YouTube channel, Third Party Podcast, and stop by our weekly stream. Check out the Discord via link in the description. Thank you so much for listening to the Third Party Podcast. Peace. Hey now, another squad coming in. Boom! Whole squad down. Maybe tomorrow.